pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and your love to us. We thank you for each one that is here tonight. Lord, we ask you to guide and direct our time in our study of your word. In your name we pray. Amen. And talk to Brother Hiram Davis this afternoon. And uh, we need to keep him in prayer. How many people know what it's supposed to do on Saturday? It is supposed to rain. And... uh, he said, well, I don't know if it's going to rain up here or if it's just showers. And so we'll, we'll have to kind of wait and see what it's going to do. Uh, but uh, I believe we'll be able to pass out some tracks and things in the area. And so uh, if I do not have your name on the list, uh, Joey, you need to sit still now. Um, let please let me know if you want to go, and uh, we will just go up and hopefully and pray. The rest of you pray that we have good weather, and, and that uh, actually, if it's a little cloudy and just a little on the drizzly side, people stay at home and you get to talk to them. So that's not always a bad thing. So pray about that if you would. And of course, tomorrow night is our spaghetti dinner. If you can handle that our church fellowship, and uh, all you need to do is bring yourself, and uh, it's up to you, salad, antipasta, any of that kind of stuff, whatever goes uh, with the meal, and then some ooey-gooey, rich and chewy desserts, amen? And uh, then we'll just have some games and some time together, and we'll enjoy that. Now, Saturday, we leave at 7.30, and so... Uh, let's uh, make sure that we get out of here on time. We'll get up there about 10 o'clock. That'll give us uh, about five or six hours to knock on doors and things like that. Now, of course, if it's pouring down rain, uh, we won't be able to do as many doors and things, but bring an umbrella and a pair of waterproof shoes, and we'll do the best we can. Amen? And um, then, of course, Saturday, I mean Sunday, is what the world calls Easter Sunday. Uh, I was getting the oil changed in the van. It's, uh, whoa, I think this mic is on, Brother Zach. There we go. And uh, the shop is run by a Jewish man, and so we were talking about Passover. And He says, well, Easter Sunday is yours, right? And I said, well, our church is a little different. I said, every service is Easter Sunday. And he looked, gives me one of those. And I said, well... It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the center point of all the Bible and all the teaching. I said, we don't have a service. We don't mention the resurrection. And he goes, yeah. Uh, I might come to your place sometime. So you pray for Howie. All right, that Howie will uh, show up and, and be here for a service. And uh, then uh, we also are going to be having a baptism Sunday, so pray about that. And we also have another baptism scheduled for the next Sunday. And uh, I talked to the plumber, and I told him, I said, as long as we get the work done, but we can't have the baptistry out of order on Sunday. We want it working on Sundays. And he said, no problem. And so if we can get somebody for uh, May uh, 8th, we'll do that. Now, May 15th, I'll be gone, but uh, May 22nd, we'll be back. And we could baptize every Sunday between now and Jesus comes, and it won't bother me a bit. Amen. And so let's pray about that and uh, pray that the plumber comes back with a decent um, estimate on the cost and that we're able to get all of those things done. 
And I also called the Newburgers Tuesday afternoon uh, at 2 o'clock. They were five hours out of Oklahoma City. He said, we got lots of delays. And I said, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, five hours out of Oklahoma City? That doesn't sound delayed to me. And, uh, and uh, he said, well, uh, we, we're doing real well. And he said, we... Uh, we couldn't get everything into the economy rental car that we wanted, so uh, they upgraded us uh, for a very low price. And I said, it's a tough life. Somebody's got... He said, the only thing they had was a luxury SUV. He didn't tell me what they had, but I imagine it was a, one of them Suburbans all tricked out or something like that. And so uh, he said, but they only charged us half of the price of what it would cost to upgrade to a minivan. It's a tough life to live. I mean, some guys just have it rough now, don't they? And, and so you keep the Newburgers in prayer. Little fear and trepidation, but uh, the Lord is going to use them and supply their needs. Amen? And so let's have Brother Dave come back and lead us in that last hymn, and then we'll get right into our Bible study tonight. Cherish the old rock. 
trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. To the old rugged cross me tonight might be uh, an apropos time to just look at the events. Uh, It is commonly called uh, the last week or the passion week and really neither phrase really is the proper description. It is the week leading up to the resurrection is what uh, what this week would be and there are many, many different things that are offered here, and uh, someone gave me an article here uh, off of Yahoo News, so it's got to be true, right? Um, that uh, uh, the title on the article was, Last Supper Was a Day Earlier, Scientist Claims. And this is a scientist at Cambridge University, Professor Colin Humphreys, has written a new book called... The Mystery of the Last Supper. And uh, he came to a stunning conclusion. He says that Jesus, along with Matthew, Mark, and Luke, may have been using a different calendar to John. That's a quote out of the article here. And uh, it says here that, uh, oh, many biblical scholars say that for this reason, the reason the Gospels contradict themselves... You can't trust the Gospels at all, but if we use science and the Gospels hand in hand, we can actually prove that there was no contradiction. And we would say, we believe that all along, Mr. Humphreys. But he puts the Passover meal on Wednesday. Now, what that does, how many of you, uh, if you want an outline, there's one there. And I apologize, Uh, it's been kind of a crazy week, and this is a skeleton outline. And I would challenge you to read the scriptures and uh, fill in all of the things that are not there uh, in in your outline. They're certainly in the scriptures, of course. But um, the traditional Passover week schedule is triumphal entry Sunday morning, 
the teaching in the temple Monday and Tuesday. Wednesday was a day in seclusion. Then Thursday, they prepared for the Passover. The crucifixion was on Friday, and they stuffed three days between Friday night and Sunday morning. Now, if you get paid by the hour, that'd be a pretty cool thing to do, amen? Uh, try to get three days between Friday night and Saturday morning and see what your boss says about that. I imagine he would have just a little argument with you. And we, we have, I have proposed this for, uh, for many years, is just unplug the Silent Wednesday, move the events back one day, and I've often said this is a very childish and simplistic way of looking at what can be a very complex subject as we go through the Gospels and try to fit all the different stories. And, and what you have happening is the crucifixion is moved back to Thursday. We now have three days, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. We now have three nights, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, and Jesus rises before sunset, sunrise, I'm sorry, on Sunday morning. And everything just kind of fits. And so I thought that was pretty cool. Monday night I got this article. Now, let me be fair to the article here because I don't want to misquote uh, Mr. Humphreys. He's not agreeing with the biblical, what we are saying. He says, uh, it would follow that Jesus' arrest, inter- interrogation, and separate trials did not all take place in the space of one night, but in fact occurred over a longer period. So what Mr. Humphreys has a problem with is the trial before um, uh, Ananias and Caiaphas, and then the trial before Herod, I mean before Pilate, and then back to Herod, and then back to Pilate again, could not possibly have happened between about uh, midnight on uh, Thursday, uh, on Wednesday night, and 9 a.m. on um, Thursday morning. Did I say that right? Yes. Uh, and so, but we're just going to stick with the Bible. It's funny how people will come to a conclusion that will be very right in one part, and then they'll go, but he still had to be crucified on Friday. And that's just tradition. Now, part of the problem is, is we'll look at the text and things tonight, and we'll say the Sabbath. But you have to understand the Jewish reckoning, Sabbath was the day of rest, there were many Sabbaths that did not fall on Friday in the Jewish calendar. Passover was one of them. The first day of Passover was a Sabbath. There were Sabbaths during the Passover feast, and the last day of Passover was a Sabbath. Same thing was true with Yom Kippur. So let's just go to uh, John chapter 12. John chapter 12. And Sunday morning, Lord willing, during Sunday school time, we will do traditionally what we do on Resurrection Sunday morning, and uh, we will go through uh, the chronology of what happened on Easter Sunday morning, on Resurrection Sunday morning. And, and I always like to quip that the busiest place in the world, Easter Sunday morning, was the tomb, as people ran back and forth and forth and back, and the soldiers, and everyone was going every way. And what we have to remember is the Gospels that are given here are just the simple accounts of these events. 
And there, just the fact that there are some things that make it difficult to fit all the pieces together is more proof than anything else that this was not a convoluted, made-up story by a group of men trying to make their stories agree. Otherwise, everything would just fit like clockwork. One One of the ways you can know somebody's lying is when their story is too true. When every little question is answered and every little second is accounted for, when people are just giving a simple, honest reconciliation of the, I mean, a story of the facts, not everything always fits together, but I'd like to agree with Mr. Humphreys here. If we use science and the Gospels hand in hand, we can actually prove there was no contradiction, and we've always believed that here. We believe that there are no contradictions in the Scripture. And so we're just going to walk our way through this last week and look at the events. It says then, chapter 12 of the book of John, verse 1, it says, Then six days before the Passover came to Beth, um, Jesus, I'm sorry, then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. And there, I'm sorry, there they made him a supper. And Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. And so we have this feast. This would have been Saturday night after the Passover. I mean, after the Sabbath. The Sabbath would have started sundown on Friday, ended sundown on Saturday. This dinner would have occurred More than likely, sundown, after sundown, Saturday night. And what happens here is one of the great events in the Bible. Verse 3, Then Mary took a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Now, uh, this is something that would kind of be hard for us to imagine, but they were sitting here in this house and she, Mary, comes up and she breaks this box of ointment and pours it over Jesus' head and anoints him with the oil, with the ointment. And when it says here about the house being filled, have you ever, I mean, it would be like somebody taking a bottle of that very expensive, stinky stuff that I hope nobody ever brings to church because it just drives me crazy with my sinuses and stuff. I just stop breathing. But uh, you wouldn't be able to taste your food because you were smelling the ointment. It would have overpowered everything that was going on. I mean, there were some people, (coughs) you know, and trying to open windows. And I mean, that was this kind of ointment that was theirs. And we, as we go through the story, we find out that that was costly. It was worth about 300 pence. And somebody says, pence, penny. Okay, three, 300 pence is three dollars. That's not very costly. Well, You have to go back to your Bible and study it. 
when the vineyard worker sent workers, when the vineyard owner sent workers into the vineyard, how much was the wages? It was a penny a day now, wasn't it? So that would make it worth 300 days wages. Um, that'd be pretty valuable now, wouldn't it? Uh, that would actually be over a year's salary. And, of course, average salary, as I look out, it's got to be at least $100,000 a year, right? No, not around here. But, listen, easily in modern day figures, $100,000. And she poured this on Jesus. In fact, we read uh, that in, Ma- in Matthew's... Uh, comment, let's, let's just go to Matthew... Um, let me see if I have it marked here. And uh, Matthew chapter 19, I believe it is. No, I'm sorry. I'm, in the, I'm, I'm sorry, it's in the book of Mark is where I was wanting to go. Mark chapter 12. Okay, I am sorry, I have lost my place. Um, And... Okay. Um, let's go back to John chapter 12, where at least I know where I'm supposed to be there. Um, we have Judas, oh, Matthew 26, verse 14. There we go. All i got to do is look at my notes, be able to read them. There we go. Verse 13. Verse 12, it says, For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there also this, that this woman hath done, be told for a memorial of her. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went unto the chief priest and said unto them, What will you give me, and I will deliver him unto you? And they covenanted with him for thirty pieces of silver. And from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. Now what we have Judas doing is using this anointing of Jesus as an excuse to try to betray the Lord the greatest simple single act of worship that is recorded in the scriptures is what Mary did. And the Bible tells us that it was this act of worship that was the very thing that initiated the issue with, John, with uh, Judas and his desire to... Uh, betray the Lord Jesus Christ. 
The next morning, if we go back to John chapter 12 and just walk through there, the next morning, verse 12, on the next day, much people were coming to that feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And we have the story of what we call Palm Sunday or the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Jesus comes down into the city. The, the street is lined with the palm branches and the coats of people. Uh, one of the reasons why this was done in order to show respect and honor to deity they would, uh, and to kings and people in great authority, they would just literally stop the dust from rising off of the ground. And uh, that was part of what was going on. And, of course, last Sunday we talked about Jesus being the king. And the simple truth of the matter was, if Jesus riding the donkey into Jerusalem was not the acceptation of the Jewish people of Jesus as their king, I've, I've got a hard time trying to figure out what was or what wasn't. As they cried out, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna to the son of David. This was worship that was reserved only for God. And the Jewish people did give Jesus that worship as he came down. In fact, the Pharisees, that's why they were so angry. They said, rebuke thy disciples. And Jesus told them, if these hold their peace, even the stones are going to cry out. I am going to be glorified for who I am. So Monday morning, he comes in and teaches in the temple. And we have many of those teachings recorded in Matthew chapter uh, 24, chapter 25. We have the questioning uh, and the challenges of the Pharisees. And this would happen over the next two days as Jesus would be uh, challenged one uh, time and time again. They would lay wait. They would try to trick him. They would try to entrap him in his words. And again, here is where we differ with the traditional history. We have the events of everything that happened. I mean, blow by blow, almost word by word. And then we get to Wednesday and nothing happened. Well, that doesn't follow suit. Because then it picks up immediately, according to there, on Thursday, every hour of the day and everything. Well, let's just be childish, if that's okay. Uh, uh, and I, I believe that's the way the Lord wants us to understand the Scripture simply and, and as easily as possible. Pull out the Wednesday and put the events that they put on Thursday on Wednesday. That would mean the Passover meal was eaten Wednesday after sundown. Now, there was an awful lot that happened Wednesday night into Thursday morning. So much so that Mr. Humphreys, though he agrees that Passover would have been on Wednesday that week and not on Thursday, he says there's no way that all of the events that are recorded in the Scripture could possibly have happened. And yet, no one else has raised that objection except Mr. Humphreys, so we'll ignore him on that point. And just stick with our Bible. But the Passover meal would have started after sunset, as early as 6 o'clock, shortly thereafter. Let's say the Passover meal lasted until 8.30, 9 o'clock. Judas is already gone. Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. He has instituted the Lord's Supper. He is now walking with them on the way to Gethsemane. 
He is giving them the discourse of John 14, 15, 16. He prays in John chapter 17. He gets to the Garden of Gethsemane and he prays for three hours. So now we're between midnight and one o'clock in the morning. He is arrested. He is brought and tried before the first group of the Pharisees. We're now two or three o'clock in the morning. He now goes to the second group. Now the sun is coming up. He has just been mocked in the community of the Sanhedrin, beaten, spit upon, his beard pulled out. And he is taken to Pilate as the sun comes up. Pilate doesn't spend much time with the Lord Jesus Christ. He hears all their arguments. He looks at Jesus. Jesus answers nothing. Then Pilate finds out that Herod, that he's from Galilee, sends him over to Herod. How much time does Herod spend? Maybe it takes a half an hour, hour at the most. We're now seven o'clock, goes back to Pilate, and the, he is beaten and sent to Calvary to be crucified. By nine o'clock, Mark chapter 15, verse 25. And you have to understand that there are and always have any student of the Bible will tell you that different people use different calendars. In fact, uh, there's even different reckonings of the days and the hours here. Uh, John tells us the sixth hour, and Mark tells us the third hour, and uh, they're both talking about the same time. Because the Jewish calendar reckoned Hours from sunrise, which would have been 6 a.m., so the third hour would have been about 9 o'clock. The Roman calendar was much more like ours today. They would have reckoned their time from midnight. So the sixth hour, uh, um, yeah, sixth hour would have been 6 a.m. in the morning. And so as we look through these things, uh, yes, we're going to find different reckonings of times, but Mark chapter 15 and verse 25 says, um, it says, and it was the third hour, and they crucified him. They put the superscription up. We read that the darkness came from noon until 3 p.m. It was in the darkness that Jesus cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Someone said, he's calling for Elias. Because the words in the Hebrew was, Eloi, Eloi. Uh, and I'm not pretending to pronounce the Hebrew all correct, but you could find out that Eloi and Elias would sound very similar. And so they're saying, wait until Jesus comes, you know, wait to see if Elijah comes. And, of course, Elijah didn't come. Jesus soon said after that, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And he died shortly after 3 p.m. That would give them approximately three hours to get the body from Pilate, to go to the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, to prepare the body for burial. The body went in Thursday afternoon, day one. Thursday night, night one. Friday, day two. Friday night, night two. Saturday during the day, day three. Saturday night, night three, Sunday morning, is the resurrection. And uh, that's as simple as 
a, a conglomeration, and you can sit there and you can argue if, if that's what you choose to do, but I think you'll find out that all of the events that the Bible describes fits perfectly into the, the framework that we had. And I would challenge you to, to start with the triumphal entry. That's uh, Matthew chapter 21. And read through the end of the book of Matthew. And read through the uh, last several chapters of the book of Mark. Uh, read through the last several chapters of the book of Luke and of John and uh, put all this together. And one of the things that we want to just spend a little bit of time here is looking at all of the things that the parallels. Now, this isn't in your notes, but there were many parallels in what Jesus Christ did and what was in the Old Testament law. It was interesting, if Jesus was crucified on Thursday, he was presented to Israel on Sunday. They were to take the Passover lamb and put it in captivity for four days before the lamb was killed. Works out pretty close now, doesn't it? When a sacrifice was made, especially on the Day of Atonement, not so much in Passover the high priest would put his hands upon the sacrifice and he would confess the sins of the nation of Israel. Each individual who offered their own sacrifice on the Day of Atonement would put their hands on their sacrifice and confess their personal sins. Now, granted, it did not happen exactly as it did in the Old Testament, but did not the scribes and the priests and the Pharisees put their hands upon the Lord Jesus as they slapped him? And were they not in the very act of slapping and blaspheming and punching and torturing, confessing the sins of themselves and of their people? For the greatest sin of all Scripture is the sin of unbelief. The sacrifice was flayed or cut into pieces. Pilate supplied that with the Roman scourge and the beating that Jesus received. The sacrifice was roast by fire, was burned by fire on the altar. Jesus was suspended between heaven and earth on a cross and scorched with the fire of the sun. The picture that Jesus completed, he fulfilled every part of the Old Testament law. And on Sunday nights, once we get back from Oklahoma City and that, I want us to start a series. And we may start before then, but in the next few weeks, we're going to start a series on the tabernacle. And we're going to go through the sacrifices and the different types of things that were there and, and find the pictures and the, and the types and the actual suffering that Jesus went through was forecast, was foretold, was prophesied or pictured in the sacrificial system uh, under the Old Testament law. Everything that needed to be done. And yet the greatest miracle in all history was when Jesus said, I will raise again from the dead. And he did. Someone 
aptly put it, the stone was rolled away from the tomb, not so Jesus could get out, but so that we could see in. And by the way, if we study our Bible, the tomb was sealed with a Roman seal. Now, only someone of greater authority could break that seal and get away with it. Amen? Was there any human being in the city of Jerusalem that was greater than the Roman Empire? No. But that mighty angel that floated down out of the sky just as the sun was coming up and picked up that 4,000 to 5,000 pound stone and rolled it out of the way, he might have had just a little more authority than the Roman Empire. Amen? In fact, the Roman soldiers weren't arguing with him. They were too busy pretending they were dead. Uh, And if we'd have been there, we'd have been doing the same thing. Amen? And so as we walk through the events... The one thing I don't want us to do, and we'll be done a little early tonight, is I don't want us to lose track of the reason and the purpose in all of these events. Jesus was giving himself. Let's go to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 9. And if you've been in our church very often, I mean, very long, we've, we've been to this chapter many times, and we'll continue going there. In verse 1, it says, Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service in a worldly sanctuary. We come here to verse 3, and after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. And when we come down to verse 6, it says, Now when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of his people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. Now let's skip on down to verse 11. But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, Not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. And when the writer of Hebrews was writing this, there was a building in Jerusalem that was called the temple of God. And it was a place where the people of God had come for centuries to worship God according to the regulations in what we call the Old Testament law. And he is saying here that Jesus was coming to offer himself not in a building built with hands. And we keep coming down here through this, and I would challenge you to take some time and read the whole way through the chapter. But just for time's sake, we're going to catch just a few uh, high points here. Verse 14, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Verse 24, 
For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Let's skip down to chapter 10 and verse 12. It says, But this man, after that he, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering... He hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. And so as we look at what the scripture is saying, let's not get caught up so much. And I know we've spent the whole evening just walking through the events of this last week. But this is why Jesus Christ died. He offered himself one sacrifice for all sins forever. This was not to be repeated as on the Day of Atonement, as in the Passover was an event that happened every year. The sacrifices that were offered at the temple and before then the tabernacle were offered on a daily basis. Jesus offered himself one sacrifice for sin for all sin, forever. That's why we have Jesus as our high priest. Oftentimes I'm asked, well, you're the priest, right? No, I am not the priest of our church, and it's too complicated to explain in a sentence. Every believer is a priest because they have access to God through Jesus Christ. But... Jesus is the only one who could offer the sacrifices that will pay for our sins. Amen? And that is why we do not uh, necessarily go in for all the tradition. I'm, I'm happy about this article. A scientist at uh, University of Cambridge, he, he partially agrees with us. Amen? Does it? Are we going to change our opinion if he wrote a book and disagreed with us? No. Uh, I just bring that by way to let you know that other people are uh, coming to some of those same conclusions. And yet this was the work that Jesus came to do. Don't get caught up. And please don't rent Mel Gibson's movie and think you're going to learn more about what Jesus did. The greatest suffering on the cross and the whole work that Jesus did had nothing to do. I mean, it had something to do with the physical, but that was, it wasn't even as important to be compared to the suffering of the spotless Lamb of God taking upon Him all the judgment of Almighty God for all mankind. You talk about suffering. That's where the suffering was. When you talk about Jesus despising the shame, it was not the beating with the Roman whip, though that was not pleasurable, nor was it 
something that he looked forward to, but the real shame was as the spotless Lamb of God took upon him our judgment, our punishment. The best way I know how to put it, and I hope you don't mind me repeating ourselves, is Jesus Christ as the infinite God was able to accomplish in one afternoon on the cross what it would take you in eternity in hell to try to accomplish. That's why we can go free because of his suffering. And we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. Not in any works that we have done, but in the work he has finished. And of course, why don't we just end tonight with the three greatest words in all of history. Say them with me if you would. It is finished. Amen. Jesus finished the work so that you, can, you and I can be free to serve him today. If you had to obtain your salvation by what you do, would you not have to spend every moment of every day trying to accomplish something to be good enough to please God? Would not your eternal soul be worth that kind of effort? But that's not where God wants you and I to live. He wants us to live in His joy, in the freedom of a salvation that was paid for and accomplished without our effort. And He'll give us His righteousness if we'll just accept Him. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight, and Lord, we ask that you would just help us to see things in your word. And, and Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged by the things that are recorded in your word and all the things that you did and accomplished during these last few days before the resurrection. But Lord, we pray that we would never lose sight of what the truth of the resurrection is. As you have won the battle over both death and hell. You have victory over the grave. And Lord, you're willing to give that victory to whosoever shall call upon your name. We ask you to give us grace that we may be your servants. In Jesus' name we pray. Before we finish that prayer, if you'd like to just keep your heads bowed for a moment. The altar is open if you'd like to slip out and spend some time in prayer. And of course, if you're here tonight and you do not know the Savior, you're not sure. I would challenge you, you, there's no reason why you would have to leave this building not knowing for sure. But what you have to do is open the Bible. And that's what our church is here for. Is to open the Bible and show you that you may make your own decisions based upon the words of Scripture, that you may know that your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home.